Good to be with you today, and um, always good to be here at Green Fort. We, uh, I woke up last night and uh, had had a, a dream, and sometimes that when I'm preaching someplace, I'll just have uh, a little anxiety, I think is what it is, that makes me dream about um, things that are happening at church. But it was a good dream, and after I woke up, I prayed for people that I knew here by name, and uh, it's just great to have friends. That's what we feel like, you know, is we've got friends and, and family in a unique way with you all, and I appreciate Paul so much and his friendship. If you would uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible, or if you're following on your phone and you want to use that, that's awesome, but I hope you'll look at the text that we'll share from today, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin there with verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 in the Bible. I want to talk to you today about the manger and the cross. The manger and the cross from Philippians chapter 2, beginning there with verse number 5. There the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful, God, that in a world that has so many challenges and changes and so much uncertainty, that there's a rock that's higher than us. God, there is a God who we turn to and we put our trust and our confidence in. And God, we thank you that you've given us your word and it's timeless and uh, relevant. And God, it always speaks to our need. And so we pray that you'll speak to us from your word. Open our hearts today and our understanding. And God, help us to be uh, willing to obey the things that we hear. We commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know out here in the country you don't have homeowners associations usually, but in the cities uh, where there are big subdivisions, you often will find uh, homeowners associations. And uh, this past year in December in Raleigh, North Carolina, there was a squabble in a, among a group of people in a homeowners association where a homeowner uh, who had lived in this neighborhood for five years named James Faison had displayed a cross in his own yard as a symbol of his belief at Christmas time, and the uh, homeowners association asked him to take it down because they said the cross is not a symbol of Christmas. The cross is a symbol of Easter. They said Passover, and uh, then uh, disagreement broke out among folks in that neighborhood, and particularly between the homeowner and the homeowners association as to whether it was appropriate for him to have a cross in his yard as a Christmas decoration as such. And the really interesting thing to me when I read the story was that the homeowners association said, well, show us from scripture 
how that the cross has relevance to the celebration of Christmas. We think mangers and angels and uh, those sort of symbols are more appropriate. And I thought, well, in uh, presenting this message today, he could easily have turned to this passage that we're going to consider, Philippians chapter 2, and said, well, here is where in the Bible we see the relationship between the manger and the cross. And so that's what I want us to think about today uh, for our own instruction and uh, to make this connection our own selves is how that the manger and the cross really are related to one another in God's plan for human, human beings and to save us. And so in this passage, there are three aspects of uh, that idea that we'll see the coming of Christ is presented in this passage. The first advent, we talk about advent and this season and celebration of Christmas. And the word advent means coming or appearance. And so we see the coming of Jesus. But also in this passage, we see the cross of Jesus. And then we'll also see the coronation or the crowning of Jesus in, the, in this passage as we see how God's purpose advances in history and, and how it all uh, first began to be obvious to us at the time of nativity and this celebration of Christmas in our understanding of our calendar. So let's look there first in this passage at the coming of Jesus and what we learn about it. It says in verse number five, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So the context for this discussion of the Philippian people, uh, they were in a church in Macedonia. And so he's writing to a church. And even though when you read Philippians, it's a very positive letter, it has one sort of negative theme. And that is that these uh, folks were not united. They disagreed with one another. They had discord in the congregation. You find if you turn forward uh, to Philippians chapter 4, he writes to two uh, women in the congregation. He says, I implore you, Syntyche and Yodia, uh, to get along with one another. And then he encourages other people, hey, you in the congregation help these ladies to come to peace among themselves. And the illustration that we began with in this uh, sermon today shows us that sometimes it's difficult for people to have deliberate behaviors among themselves that contribute to peace. And yet the Bible says, let the mind that was in Christ be in you also. And in this uh, chapter 2 in the very beginning, he, he begins to encourage them toward unity. And of course we know that among Baptist uh, fights and disagreements are never a problem at all, right? We always just all, all the time, you know, do the right thing and always get along and never disagree in the wrong way. You know, of course, this is a, a problem that's evident. Just wherever there are people, there are going to be problems and disagreements. And so he encourages them, if you want to be like Jesus, he says in this passage, then instead of arguing and struggling to get along, we have to learn to serve and to bless each other. Even in communities like the neighborhood there, you know, where these people, here's what we often do as human beings is we uh, become fixed in our own perspective and point of view, but, but we don't try to understand the way the world looks from that other person's viewpoint. And if, if we would learn to think like Jesus, his purpose 
it says in coming to the earth can help us, even though the prim primary reason for this passage, I think, is to help us understand God and how he appeared in Christ. It's also to help us to understand how to be as people who follow Christ. And so to be like Christ, we have to learn how to serve and to bless one another. And to be good kingdom citizens, it, it means to look at the world through the perspective of the other person at times. So when we think about the coming of Christ, it says let he used the incarnation, the idea that God came in human form as a way of instructing people about how to be at peace among themselves also. So to be like Jesus, we learn to serve and to bless. To be like Jesus and to learn from what his uh, first coming means, it, uh, we also learn to lay aside our rights. Look at what it says about Jesus in this passage in verse 6. Who being in the form of God, that was not in dispute. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the idea that Jesus is God is exactly what Paul is communicating in this passage. He says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he goes on, he says, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of his privileges. And he, uh, be became, he came to us in the form of a servant. And so if we want to learn from Jesus coming and be people who are like Christ, it means that we'll empty ourselves of the, our, our rights. That's such an alien concept to us as citizens of the U.S., to empty ourselves of our rights, to put the interest of others before our own. But again, that's the context here in this passage in, uh, beginning in the first few verses. But Jesus had... He never stopped being God, even though he became a servant in form. He didn't stop being God. He didn't have to jealously protect his position. He was God through and through. God became a man. That is the uh, unbelievable truth of Christmas, is that God came into the uterus of a virgin, and God grew into a little baby in her womb, that's, that is mind-blowing. That's the claim of Christianity about the world, that God didn't leave us in our situation without hope, but he came to us. Emmanuel, we sing about God with us. God coming into this world. And so instead of clinging to the right that Jesus had, to uh, occupy the throne of eternity, which he does, he, for a time, sat that privilege aside. He relinquished his right so that he could bless us, so that he could bring to us what we needed, so that he could bring salvation and hope to humankind. When you read the Gospels, and I've been reading through uh, Luke's Gospel and also uh, spent some time thinking and writing about what John says about the incarnation in John chapter 1. The clear idea that you get when uh, Joseph and Mary encounter angels, Mary, first of all, Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, whoa, how can that be? My, her mind is blown you know, by what's happening. Then 
Joseph has to decide, okay, this woman who says she's expecting a baby, but not by me, am I going to fall through and marry her? And the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because what's conceived in her is uh, because of the Holy Ghost, because of the Holy Spirit. And they are, their fears are assuaged by the presence of angels and by God. But then they're told also, you're to give this baby a specific name, and that name was Jesus. And Jesus meant God's salvation. And when what we see is God's purpose for the world coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's salvation. He becomes for us the promise of forgiveness of sins because he grew up to be a person who died in our place. But always it was in God's purpose in bringing a baby into this world to also bring with him salvation to us. But he had to relinquish his right at that particular moment in history. He had to be willing to do what he, he did. And, and so for us, as we think about what the coming of Jesus means, and particularly in this text, we often uh, hold on to our rights when what it, what it means to be like Jesus is to relinquish our rights so that we can become uh, better citizens of heaven, so that we can reflect Christ in our circumstances and to be willing to uh, bless others. So Jesus coming teaches teaches us that letting go of our rights is a godly behavior. I, I'm not saying in every situation, but often we fall into the trap of thinking that life's purpose uh, centers down into us, but God's purpose really is to bless through us, for us to end up being people that reflect Christ by being like Him in, in the sense of giving up our, our rights and not demanding them. Then also, uh, when we think about Jesus coming, we see, uh, look at verse uh, 7 here in the scripture. It says, uh, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. So Jesus coming teaches us that we're, uh, as God's servants, our focus is to be on his salvation. That he, he became a servant for a specific reason. You know, God puts uh, local churches in communities for that very same reason. That is so that the congregation can serve the community by being witnesses to it of his salvation. And we've talked about this, you know, I've talked about it in a lot of places, but the founders, who, wherever it goes back to, you know, when people first formed this church, the thought in their heart was there are people all around us without hope. There are people in this world who woke up today not having any certainty or assurance that their sins could be forgiven. They woke up knowing that they were broken and that they had a problem, and yet they don't know the answer, and God puts congregations of witnesses in communities to tell people this good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we all know that, uh, passage probably from you know kindergarten that we heard in vacation Bible school and we don't forget that that God's love is for the whole world and often there are people in our communities broken by life their their lives have 
uh, taking a turn that they didn't anticipate. And the, world, and the Bible says that the problem all of us have is our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. That the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, not even one. And so our, all of our problems are the same. But whatever, for whatever reason, uh, in churches we often forget that that's God's mission for us. The Great Commission says, you will be witnesses to me. God planted you here, your life, to intersect with the life of others so that through you they can hear the message of hope. Who's going to do that if not us in this world today? It's what God has commissioned us to do. And so when we think about the coming of Jesus, his coming, can, is, it, it had a purpose all in itself, but it's also in this passage instructive to us about how we're to be. So we see the, in this passage the coming of Jesus, that his mission uh, sh shows us our mission. In the, I think it's in that red, well, I don't know if it's in this hymnal or not, the red hymnal. I know it's in it, the one that came out in the 70s. There was a song by a guy named Bill Cates that, was, uh, that said, Do you really care? That song always stirred me up. Do you really care? It's a, it's a good question, isn't it? Do we care enough to get outside ourselves and to go to the people that are all around us, our neighbors? You know what's interesting to me is often that we think, Now, I know everybody around here, and some of you have lived long enough in this community that you probably do know a lot of people. But what I found when I was pastoring in a rural community is that there really were people in our community that nobody had ever gone to with the gospel before. We found a 70-year-old uh, man and wife. I'll never forget it. And, and it wasn't me, but a visitation team from our church went to this home, and we found a man named uh, Tinkum. They called him Tinkum. I don't know what his given name was. <laughs> And Maddie Waters. In their 70s, I had the uh, blessing of baptizing a 70-year-old couple and three of their sons. But they had lived in that community forever. And uh, somebody finally went, with, uh, went to them with the gospel. And they heard the good news about Jesus and gave their lives to Christ in their old age. So sometimes we think, ah, we know everybody around us. But no, we probably don't. And our antenna ought to be up. And that's God's purpose for your church is to to connect to people just like that that need to hear about Jesus. And so don't forget that. But also in this passage we see the, com uh, the coming of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. Look at verse 8 again that we read. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the answer to the homeowners association's question is right here in this passage, isn't it? Jesus first came as a baby, but he grew up to be a human being, a man with the uh, purpose that God had uh, put into his life. It's interesting when you read through the Gospels, you see that uh, God is preparing even the birth family of Jesus. The, uh, in Luke's Gospel, they go to, uh, on, on the eighth day after his birth, they always would circumcise a baby and then dedicate that baby at the temple to the Lord. And in Luke's gospel, Mary and Joseph went to the temple. They took Jesus with them, and they took along the sacrifice that says either two uh, pigeons or turtle doves, which was really a way of saying this is a poor family. It was the uh, t uh, sacrifice that would be made by a poor family. They took that baby to the temple. They did for him everything that they were supposed to as a scrupulous, righteous family. 
entrusted with this responsibility of raising this, this um, baby that God had told them was to be the Savior of the world. While they're in the temple, Simeon approaches them, a prophet, and he says this to Mary in the Scripture. He says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And what we read into the words of Simeon when he tells Mary, your own soul is going to be pierced, is it's a foreshadowing of the fact that there is sorrow in the path ahead for this little baby. That the, the, the Isaiah 53 describes him as the suffering servant. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The suffering servant, the one who would take our punishment and uh, by our, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, Isaiah wrote about this baby. And so it's foreshadowed that his incarnation was always the uh, leading to a moment in which he would be crucified. He told his disciples that repeatedly. It was hard for them to uh, really take in and to appreciate. But Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priest, and I'm going to be crucified. And then on the third day, he said, I'll, ri I'll rise from the, uh, from the grave. But the arc of his destiny always advanced toward the end he knew was coming and willingly embraced in the cross. And he did this for us. So in Christian understanding, here's how things advance. Joy. You know, at Christmas, we sing these songs, even like the ones we've sang today, that are full of joy at the realization that God has given us an answer. But then it goes on to solemn sorrow. And as we'll move forward into Easter, and we remember that on Good Friday, Jesus gave his life. He laid down his life for the sins of the world and that everybody needs to come to his cross. But then we see ecstatic joy again and celebration because he doesn't stay in the grave, does he? On that third day, he comes out and he conquers death. And, and now we are at a time of hopeful expectancy. What are we waiting for? A second advent, correct? Jesus told the disciples as they uh, stood there on the Mount of Olives. He says, uh, uh, or the angels that appeared said, why do you stand gazing heavenward? The same Jesus in like manner will come again, will return for us. And that was Jesus' promise that we hope for is his return when righteousness will be the standard because he's going to be the king over all the earth. And so that's the way things advance. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus is alive. Jesus will come again. Amen? Amen? He's coming back for us to live with Him or we're going to Him. And that leads us into the final part of this passage in verses uh, 9 through 11. The crown or coronation. He is a king. He left His throne, but He didn't leave off being God. And when He ascended into heaven, He, the Bible says, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and he's king Jesus just like we sang about uh, about brother Bill the king is coming he's king Jesus and he is the scripture says 
the most important person who ever lived. The most important person in history. It says that his name, look at verse 9. God has exalted him and given the name which is above every name. You know, there are some people that uh, either we're impressed with them or they're impressed with themselves. Celebrities in this world. But God's not impressed with any of them because he made all of them. The low, the high, the in-between. The Bible says that even when we read about Jesus in John's Gospel, it says all things were made through Him and without Him, nothing was made that was made. He made everything. So He's not impressed with anybody's celebrity. He is the name, He has the name that is above all names. There was a leader, a monarch in France, Louis Fourteenth. He was called Louis the Great. He was... He reigned during the time of absolute monarchy. So his reign was thorough and complete. He uh, began to be king at age five and reigned for 55 years. And he he had a relationship uh, to a preacher that he admired named Massion. And at his death, Louis XIV, he was interred. And uh, well, before he was interred, his casket was in the cathedral of Notre Dame. And there was a single candle, this is what historians say, that lit the cathedral. And the preacher that he so admired, Massion, when he rose to give the uh, uh, speech at the funeral of Louis XIV, extinguished that candle. And the first words that he gave before he preached this, the funeral for, the, uh, for Louis the Great was, only God is great. Only God is great. So this impressive ruler, he said, he put in contrast to the one who is the light of the world. The only one who's the light of the world. And his name is above every name. He's crowned as king. And he's not only the most important person who ever lived, he is uh, the Lord of all who ever lived. Look at the scripture again there, verse 20, or verse 10. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Look at what it says. Of those in heaven, that is those who have already uh, gone on, or the angelic beings uh, as well. He's the Lord of all in heaven. Those on earth, that is us who are living. And those under the earth, it says, which is an interesting phrase that all you'd have to do to understand it would be to walk out those doors and take a left and go through the parking lot out here. All those under the earth. Those who uh, throughout all century, maybe even thousands and thousands of years, I, I was in, I traveled overseas. We w- uh, were in Turkey, went to this old ancient site where it was basically this huge uh, cemetery full of you know, people who had passed away thousands of years ago. Those people, the Bible says, and these people and all people one day are going to rise from their resting place and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of all who ever lived. And we all, the last thing this passage shows us, will worship Him either willingly or remorsefully one day. Everybody's going to worship Him willingly or remorsefully because the Bible says every tongue will confess Jesus the Lord. Those, some will do it willingly and gladly. They did it their whole life. 
But then some at the last are going to acknowledge Jesus is Lord remorsefully with the reality that they rejected Jesus in their lifetime, but now they see that that one they rejected was truly who he claimed to be and who others said that he was, that he was the Lord. So the good news is for us who are living, the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone as in everyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have a moment, an opportunity, where God has shown us who Jesus is and is saying to us, receive Him. Humble yourself. You know, I did that at a point in my life, humbled myself, realized that my sins were separating me from God and cried out to Him and received the forgiveness of my sins that has given me hope and has given my life meaning and direction. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And in that book he says, I have found that the doubts that afflict me from many sources, from science, from comparative religion, from an innate sense of skepticism, from aversion to the church. He says, these are all the sources of my doubt. He says, they take on a new light when I bring those doubts to a man named Jesus. That's what I've found. I live in the same world you do. Disappointments and discouragement will uh, cause me to struggle at times, but when I look at Jesus, my hope is encouraged and my hope is rekindled. Jesus never disappoints me. I've been disappointed by a lot of human beings in my life. Even pastors will disappoint us at times. You know who will never disappoint you? Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is thoroughly righteous. And He is thoroughly good. And His purpose for us is always the same. That is to save us and to bring us into relationship with God. And that's the meaning of this holiday. You know, sometimes we say, um, when we think about Christmas in this season, keep Christ in Christmas. But what about keeping Christ in our life all the time, year-round? Keeping Him as the focal point. Sometimes uh, peripheral things and lesser things uh, come to have the most importance to us, but God wants to be of the most importance to you. He wants to be the core of our life and our existence. And that's what it means to, to know Him, is to be a worshiper, to be a witness, and to be a servant to Him. And so that's the appeal from this message today. When we think about you know, that question those people were wrestling on, uh, with, whether the cross had significance uh, to Christmas. Of course it does. That, it's what Christmas, you know, is the first step of, is this process that brought us a Savior. And the cradle always was going to lead to that cross where Jesus died for us and brought us hope, but then was raised from the dead. And the Bible says, we, you know, here are the two things I want us to think about in our conclusion is, First of all, do you have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your own life where your need intersected with who He is and you cried out to Him? But, but secondly, if you, if you would answer that question, yes, praise God. If you, if you would say, no, you know, that's not where I'm at yet, then why not today trust Him and receive Him as your Savior? But then also, if you do know Him, are you committed to sharing the good news with other people. That's what you've been commissioned to do. 
as a follower of Christ. It is the lifeblood of churches. It is the reason that churches are vital or not vital, is whether or not we maintain this focus of sharing Christ with other human beings that live around us, that God has put in our community to love and to connect with. I want to pray for us. I, I should have asked this in advance. Are you? Have you been receiving a public invitation? Well, here's what I'll do. <laughs> are you? Are we going to close with the hymn of commitment? Okay, we'll do that. And I will hang around and I'll put my mask back on. I would love to talk with you if as we've shared from God's word today, you've come to understand there's a need that you have not yet responded to. You know, I'll stay around for a little while and make sure that I can help you address that. But um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll have a song of commitment. God, we're grateful today that your truth for these thousands of years has remained unaltered. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that none can come to the Father except through me. And so God, we thank you that you have not left us without a clear path to you. God, you've shown us exactly how to know you. And I pray today for this congregation, God, that you'll use it as a vital force to uh, witness to Jesus and its community and the relationships that you've given each person, their family, their, among their neighbors. God, that you would uh, compel them to go out and to seek out the lost and to love them and to share the good news with them. And we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.